for the many different directions that a topic like this can go, for the working that you will do even when we're done with this time of teaching, for the discussion that might take place afterwards in a Sunday school class. God, we give you praise and glory for this time together. May it be what you intended for it to be when we join together for worship. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you go through different areas of life, usually you're learning, and hopefully you're uh, learning from your mistakes. When a mistake happens, hopefully you will take that mistake and it won't be wasted. With myself, I have tried to decide how many of my mistakes I would tell my two children who are coming up after me. Because there are plenty to choose from. And all God's people said, amen. Plenty of mistakes that you have that you can maybe teach somebody else with. I have seen the big times in my life that where maybe I could have avoided some tension, avoided some stress. I have taken both of my kids to the very place out in the woods and walked up to a building that led to the only time that I have ever had to sit in the back of a police car. One time, all right? And if you search the internet, you won't find anything about it, so don't get too excited, all right? The one time when I was a young person, when I gave it to some peer pressure, I didn't stand up for what was right. And I have to ask myself, do I tell others about this? Do I tell my kids about this? Well, let me cut to the chase. What is the reason why I would tell my kids about something so horrible from my past. It's so they can learn from it, right? It's so they will see that, and they will hopefully not go down that road. And I not only will say something like, don't do this, I will say, here's what led to me falling into this. Not standing up for what is right. Moral courage is what we need to have in our Christian world. Individuals that will say no when others around are going the wrong direction. I failed to do that. And so my kids have seen the place where I made that mistake and the consequence that came from it. As we approach the message today, I want to let you know that even this morning, going over this topic that we're going to talk about, I have been driven to a point where I've had the tears in my eyes even today. With the topic that we're going to touch on, as Jesus Christ teaches in Matthew chapter 5, not only have I wept over my own actions, but I have caused others to weep because of my lack of understanding on this topic. And so in the interest of letting you know mistakes so that we can learn, I would beg you for your attention, not to my words today, but to what Jesus Christ would teach here in the Sermon on the Mount. It is such a struggle for us in the day that we live in to know what to do and what not to do. In a few moments, I'm going to talk about that when individuals will come to me and say, what do I do or what do I not do? Some individuals want an A, B, C, and D to handle their problem. When we think of the area that Jesus Christ is teaching on here in Matthew chapter 5, there is one word that comes to my mind that I think most of us can relate to, and that word is legalism. When we approach the area of legalism, it's good to define that. Uh, One person defined it this way, the keeping of rules so we might be considered righteous in God's sight. It's very important that if you want to use the word legalist, or legalism, that you define it in the correct way. And of course, I'm defining this in, um, in light of God's word and how the Christian would approach this. I don't want you to misunderstand. I think there are some, probably not most of you, but there are some that would misunderstand and think that we don't need to have any rules because we don't want legalism. So for all of you young people who have some rules over you, I don't want you walking out today going, yeah, no more rules, pastor said so. That's not the idea. That's not God's intention, and that's not what we find Jesus Christ teaching here today. Legalism, when we think of it in a Christian aspect, is the keeping of rules in order to be accepted by God. And we must, at all, at all consequences, avoid this. 
And you might think you're doing good at avoiding it, but as we'll talk about today, there is a real struggle with the ongoing process, with continuing to not have a legalistic lifestyle. Is there any list of rules that I can keep that will help me be more accepted by God? Shake your head yes or no. The answer is no. There's no list of rules that I can do that helps me be more accepted by God. What we're going to see in God's word today is that God has not put a system in place for us to have eternal life. He's not put a system in place for us to have purpose in this life, but instead God has put in place an individual relationship with God himself. All right, all that to take us to our text. Matthew chapter 5. When we look at this text here, we need to understand that what Jesus is going to teach in these four verses is key to understanding the entire Sermon on the Mount. So maybe the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And what goes on in these four verses is key to understanding not only the Sermon on, on the Mount, but it's key to understanding salvation. And I'm not exaggerating there. You have to understand that you are lost, understand the wrath of God that's going to be poured out upon those who are in a sinful state in order for you to grasp salvation. So what we find here in these verses is key to understanding this wonderful sermon and salvation that God's children enjoy. As a whole, when we look at the audience of the Sermon on the Mount, when we think of these Jews, this Jewish audience, we need to understand when we approach these verses that their understanding of righteousness had been completely distorted by the legalism of the religious leaders of that day. If you're taking notes, we're going to have three points for these four verses. The first one is this. In the fulfillment of God's law... Jesus is sufficient. In the fulfillment of the law, Jesus is sufficient. I've asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Read with me verse number 17, where it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Let's stop right there for now. When Jesus Christ teaches, he had power. It says multiple times, he does not teach as one of the other teachers does, one of the other rabbis, but instead Jesus teaches with authority. When we think of that idea of teaching with authority, they had something specific in mind. You see, their rabbis and their teachers would go to a specific school. Or they would have one great teacher that would mentor them and teach them. Today we would say, we want to check your credentials. Sometimes when you're talking with a person, it seems like they're constantly giving you their resume. That's the idea. And people were wondering, with Jesus Christ, where he was going to land on certain areas. Now, regarding the idea of a teacher and Christ speaking with authority, even though he had no teacher... Let me give you Bible students a little test here. You get an indivisible gold star if you get it right, okay? When we think of the Apostle Paul and his teaching, we know that Paul had someone who taught him, who mentored him. He was in the school of who? Do you remember? Gamaliel. Gamaliel. That's who trained Paul. And that came up repeatedly when Paul would go and do his ministry. Jesus Christ did not have anyone who was his teacher. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that no one can teach God anything? He knows all things. He always has and he always will. Jesus did not have any such school. And many people, since he wasn't coming with the credentials, since they couldn't know this school and their philosophy, they're wondering where Jesus is going to land on a few different topics. And one extremely important topic that people wanted to know where Christ was going to land on was where is this rabbi going to land on the teachings of the law of Moses? And so when we come to verse number 17, Jesus answers some of his critics right off the bat. 
it appears that perhaps he's doing something, giving a different message than the law of Moses. But that is not what's going on. In fact, that's why Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law. He is not ending the law, but instead he's making the law complete. What did he mean by this? Making the law complete. This is a great little side study. If you're one that likes to write down notes and then go and maybe do a study later on. What does it mean that Jesus completed the law? Most of us do not like to be corrected in public, and I'm at the top of that list. God has a way of sometimes humbling us by letting us be corrected in public. And I can remember one time in the past couple years, some of you were there for this when I got corrected in public. I'm not bitter against it at all. In fact, I'm seeing now what God can do with it because I can embarrass myself in front of a group. When we were in Israel, and I was so excited to be one of the teachers on that trip, and I'd encourage you, if you have opportunity, if God makes it available for you to go to Israel, I would encourage it with my whole heart. It will uh, change the way you read the Bible and how you approach your Christian walk. When we were on that trip, there was one thing that I had to have before setting up that trip. I had to have a certain tour guide, because all of the tour guides are very well informed but a minority of the tour guides are actually believers, have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior because they're Jews. And so there's a small percentage of Jews that have accepted Christ over in Israel. I was very happy to talk to our group and introduce Arez. Arez was the name of our tour guide. And when I got up, I really talked him up because I knew him. I had been over there before with him. And it was just going to be wonderful. And so I talked the whole thing up, and I introduced Arez in this way. I said, what's wonderful about Arez is that he believes the Bible like you and I do, the gospel. He's looking for Jesus Christ to return in the clouds. It changes everything about this. Arez is a Christian Jew, and so it's going to make a huge difference as we get started on our tour. And Arez takes the microphone at the front of the bus, and he says, well, what Jeremy said is actually wrong. We do not call ourselves Christian Jews. They don't do that. What they call themselves is a fulfilled Jew or a completed Jew. This is what Jesus Christ would teach. He didn't abolish the Jewish people. There was a plan for them. And wonderfully, Erez is able to be part of a Jewish person and also one who's accepted the gift of salvation, forgiveness by grace alone. When we think of these kinds of ideas, when we think of Jesus completing the law or fulfilling the law, we might ask ourselves, how did he do this? And I'll talk about the purpose for the law in just a few minutes. When we think about Jesus fulfilling the law, we understand that he as a person kept the law perfectly. In fact, he's the only person who has ever kept the law perfectly. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as, as we are, yet without sin. I'm going to stop for a moment and talk to you about this idea of him and what he did and being without sin. Because since Christ was sinless, he was able to step into this world and he was able to pay the price. A price that up to that point when Christ was um, ministering and in this world, they still had blood sacrifices on a regular basis that the priests were offering. There was a repeated blood sacrifice that would be required. Christ is coming to fulfill the law. And what that means is there is going to be a blood sacrifice, a life that is taken. But that blood sacrifice would be one sacrifice that will cover for the rest of time. We do not have to repeat the sacrifice of a lamb or a goat or a bull because Jesus Christ would die on a cross 
And his blood shed that one time would be sufficient for the forgiveness of sins for anyone who would come to him for salvation. And so if I can take us even farther back in time, if I can take us before time, before the world was created, and in my head I picture a conversation between the Son and the Father, and they look at this problem of sin, they look at man's sinful state, And they understand very much so that one of the attributes of God who does not change is God is just. And Jesus Christ, I picture him saying to the Father, Father, may I? May I be the sacrifice? May I go down into the creation, submit myself in some ways, to the man that we have created and allow my life to be taken so that we can continue to be just. So many people who criticize a God that do not believe in a God will point out all of the horrible things going on in this world with the beheadings that are going on with the deaths that go on in numbers. And there's something new in the news every week that we think to ourselves, how could this happen? And with individuals that would look to a God and say, how can there be a loving God if things like this are taking place? And I have one answer for them. That is this, God is in heaven storing up wrath and it will be poured out on all those who deserve that wrath. God is love, but God is also just. We need to be very, very careful not to neglect some of the attributes of our God. Trust me, you don't want Him not to be just. You want that to be part of who our God is. And Jesus Christ takes the wrath of God in Jeremy Lazell's place. My Savior on the cross takes the wrath that I deserved because that was His plan, how much He loved me. And now, for Jeremy Lazell, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you can put your name in there. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When Jesus fulfills the law by his death, he releases man from the curse of the law. He conquers sin and he conquers death. Number two, in the fulfillment of God's law, man is not sufficient. In the fulfillment that Christ is talking about here, man is not sufficient. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In the fulfillment of God's law, you are not sufficient. So I think Christ is using some hyperbole here for effect. I think that he is not only with the understanding that the Pharisees are the standard, they're the platinum standard for keeping the law, Christ, as he teaches on the law, takes it up a step from that. Not one iota, not one dot. These are the smallest bits of of punctuation in the language of the day. Nothing can be missed in order for there to be righteousness. And the audience here, right away, they've got memorized the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, But after those Ten Commandments were given, there were 603 more 
that God gave to his people. And we'll talk about the purpose for that in just a second. 613 laws that likely all of them had memorized because they talked about it, they lived by it. And then the Pharisees could take those over 600 laws and just in case what we're going to do so you don't break this one here, let's add a law to that so we don't break it. Oh, and maybe this will help you with that as well. And so imagine this number multiplying. The audience hears the laws must be kept perfectly. And who can do that? No man, no woman could do that. What was the purpose of the law? I've got some to give you, and these will be helpful for you as you read through the scriptures and also as you live your life today. I'll go through these quickly. First of all, the purpose of the law was to reveal the righteous standard of God. God gave the law so that his holiness could be known to mankind. There are some things that might be written on the hearts of men that we can understand. Some things that people, groups, and communities can learn as they go. But God was wonderful enough to give his righteous standard so we could know a little bit more about him. Next, God gave us the law to provide rules for the conduct of Old Testament saints. Now, when we think of the Old Testament saints, we understand that right before the law was given, can you remember where God's people were at right before they got the law? They were not a free people. God's people were in slavery. They were in Egypt. God had taken them there and saved them and preserved their people. They grew to between 2 and 3 million people. And this huge group, they were all slaves. They did not have their own governmental system. They were told what to do. They were told when to go, where they were going. All these things were there. And so when they got released, when God delivered them by those ten plagues and the wonders that he worked, they did not have a system set up. They needed some structure. And God gave the law. One of the reasons was to give them rules for conduct. Another reason for the law was to keep Jews a distinct, distinct people from other people groups. They needed to look different. They needed to be different. Constantly, when we look at, look at the Old Testament, we'll find that they're supposed to be a unique people, a distinct people. Hey, not a weird people, okay? If you want to make the application to yourself here, it doesn't mean a weird people, but a distinct people. And if you're doing your best to follow what God wants you to do, you will be distinct. Another reason is to reveal sin. To reveal sin. How far, you, how far you and I fall short of God's standard. And that's important for anyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They have to realize that they are lost. And then the last one I'm going to expand on. The last one is this. It compounds personal sin. God gave the law, and we find good commentary on this in Galatians chapter 2 and in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, and a few other places. And it might be confusing, and also this might bother some of you a little bit. So let's expand on that. I don't want to bother you or anything, but I think it will be helpful for us. The law compounds personal sin. And what I mean by that is this. The law in the hands of man... So if you haven't figured this out yet or not, anything that you give to mankind, we can mess it up, all right? So the best thing that we can give to mankind, guess what you and I can do, given long enough? We can mess it up. I think government, big government's a perfect picture of this. Some of you do too as well. You give big government enough of this opportunity, they can ruin anything. You and I are the worst offenders at this. If we are given something for long enough, we will mess it up. Even something like the law that came from who? Who gave us the law? It was God. And man can mess it up. One teacher said this, Once the law is given, man's carnal nature will attach to that law and then violate that law. For me, this is where it gets very, very real. 
and I have examples of where I've been present and where I've heard others talk about this, and this is where the rubber meets the road. If a conversation of a Christian sounds something like this, a person cannot call themselves a Christian and you fill in the blank. When we start to put different qualifiers on someone's salvation, that is a dangerous road to go down, brothers and sisters. And we can debate this too. Some of you are thinking right now, boy, I, I think I can say a few things in that spot. When you start to openly in a room or with somebody else, and when it gets said is when. It's when you're either talking about somebody else who disagrees with what you believe or think, or when you're talking to somebody else. Get right in their face. And the message that will come through is, you're not saved. If you don't do, you fill in the blank. This is a slippery road that has been introduced to the church by the devil. The devil wants us to be fighting, to be not majoring on the most important things in God's word, but on the smaller things. And I need to let you know that I've been guilty of this. I've been guilty of this, I've been guilty of this on a large scale. I've been guilty of this on a one-on-one scale. It's part of the reason why I was driven to tears even today, thinking about how I have judged others because they did not follow the standard that I wanted. Even in the past couple years, I was talking with a pastor friend of mine, and we were discussing an individual who was in ministry, and today he's not. It appears by what we can see that he is as far away from church and God as he can be. And as I was talking to my individual, this is the question that I asked. Do you think he's saved? Is what I told my friend. I'm looking at the fruit. I can give you 14 verses here. Do you think he's saved? And in a beautiful way, my friend said this to me. He said, that's not my call, is what he said. Brothers and sisters, understand the strategy of the devil Anything good, so the best thing in your life right now, the most godly thing in your life right now, he can even take that in some way and use it for his purposes to divide believers so that people outside the church are only talking about the rules that we have, not the relationship. And this is why Jesus Christ comes not to point us to a system but to a Savior. And we always have to return to that. When the end of the day comes, you need to return to the Savior, to the cross. And yeah, we're going to have disagreements. At the end of the day, we come to the foot of the cross and we understand that naked I came into this world and naked I'm going to go out and we are all going to stand before a holy God someday and He is going to judge you based on whether you have accepted the gift of salvation because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross or whether you have never accepted that gift. In the hands of humans, the law can become a base of operation for the sinful nature of human beings. 1 Corinthians 15.56 says, The power of sin is in the law. And then our last point. In the fulfillment of God's law, righteousness is required. God says, Jesus Christ says, I'm going to fulfill the law. In the fulfillment of God's law, righteousness is required. Look at verse number 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness... Now stop there. Remember the audience. People that were out on the hillside with him. I think the main audience was the 12 apostles. But there were many people listening. 
And they knew about the Pharisees. And I think the Pharisees had some spies in there to check out this new teacher. But Jesus says in verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, can I just ask you to put your mindset in there? What, what do you think they thought? Do you think that some of them thought, yeah, I knew those guys weren't good enough? Or do you think some of them thought, holy smokes, they brag about how many of those 16, 613 laws they keep, plus all the extra ones they've added. I can't even touch that. Jesus, what are you doing to us? We can't do that. That's impossible. Exactly. It's impossible for you and I, no matter how long of a list we make, and no matter how much will you can pull together to keep that list. It is impossible for us to have righteousness on our own. For the rest of the chapter, Jesus Christ is going to touch on some very sensitive issues, and we're going to come to all of these. Christ is going to talk about divorce. Christ is going to talk about murder. How many people can feel really good that you can check off your list, I've never murdered anyone? And not to get ahead of ourselves, but Christ is going to come and he's going to say, great, but I tell you this, it's not good enough not to murder anyone. Do you know how it ends, everybody? I'm telling you that you cannot even be angry with your brother. Impossible, Jesus. No man, no woman can do this. Exactly. I was talking to one of our uh, people this morning before we got started about the rocks that he deals with. He's been a farmer for years and years and years. He says every year more rocks come up. There's nothing more permanent than rock. When you get rock, it's going to last. It's going to stand we were talking about, I was thinking of spiritual applications, which I'm always doing. I can't have a conversation without thinking of spiritual applications. Can you remember when the first law was given? Can you go back in Exodus chapter 20 and remember that time when God gave that law for his people and specifically those first 10 laws? To get more specific, can you remember what those first 10 laws were written on? They're written on stone. God put them on stone. And we can trace the story of God's people and what they did with those stones, how important that was for them. But I want to suggest to you that even in the Old Testament, God beautifully gives us a glimpse, a small picture of what he's going to do to no longer write on stones but he's going to do something different with what he wants us to do. We find this picture in Jeremiah chapter 31 in verse number 33 where it says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God's plan is I'm going to put my law within my people, through my spirit. And if you have not yet caught this, I hope you understand how much better a plan this is. That we don't have to continue to write down and memorize all these laws, but instead God himself within us, helping us to understand what he wants us to do. We have the law with, no, better, we have the lawgiver within ourselves. If you know Jesus Christ, the Bible says that when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to reside within you. 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, speaking of the new covenant that we are blessed with today, 
It says, And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. And so very, very practically, we need to not walk around talking with someone else with this kind of an idea. Oh, oh, oh you're a Christian? Then are you keeping these rules? Oh, wait, okay, oh, you're a Christian too. Then you are abiding by these standards. That needs to not be the question that we are asking if we can follow through the complete idea of what Jesus wants us to see. Instead, the question that we can say, led by Jesus Christ himself, needs to be this. Oh, you're a Christian? Then are you being led by the Spirit? The Spirit dwells within my heart. And beautifully, God has given us his perfect written word. And if I can go back to the beginning, I'm not telling you no rules, no regulations. What I'm telling you is, is we have the law giver within, and he's given us this book to be led by. This is what this looks like for me sometimes. People have a problem, and they want to talk about that. Pastor, I've got a problem. I want to make an appointment. I want to discuss this. Much of the time when there is a problem, what they want is a list of things they can do to avoid that problem. Here's what's going on. It's devastating in my life. I need you to give me A, B, C, and D to fix this. A list of regulations. It's going to solve my problem. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you what you're going to do when you find the perfect list? The perfect list that solves your problems. And you still need rules, you still need regulations. But here's what's going to happen. On this side of heaven, if you are still seeking to sin, it does not matter how good of a system you set up. You are so wily. You are so sneaky that you're going to find a way to bypass even those rules. And so what you'll do is you'll say, okay, I found four rules. They worked for a while, but now it's not working. So I've got to make... Some more rules to help me follow these rules. Okay, now I've got, I've got eight in place. Pretty, pretty sure this is going to solve my problem. I've got these eight things. I've got them written down. I'm going to read them every day. Oh, some of you, you're so sneaky. If you want to do it, you're going to find a way around those eight rules. So our tendency as men and women to make eight more rules. Let me write down eight more rules. Write these down. I'm going to read them every day. And they might work for a while. Brothers and sisters, if, if I can just shine a light on this, what I am describing is legalism. I am describing a system that we will put in place in order I can follow through with the first idea to be accepted by God. And maybe you're straight on salvation, but just trying to figure out your sin problem. I get it. I'm in that boat myself. We need to be so careful to avoid legalism. When someone comes to me and they want a list, I'm going to give them direction. I'm going to say, you need to know the word of God and you need to be led by the spirit. I can give them some practical help. But if they genuinely want to sin, they're going to find a way to do that. And if you keep coming to someone for rules, for how you're supposed to live, you're going to have to keep going to them for rules. And the Pharisees loved this. They were elevated. They were so important. We need to take our lead from the guidelines from God's Word with the Holy Spirit within as our teacher. God's word is alive. It is powerful. Say, I want to be led by the Spirit. Galatians 5.18 says, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under those 18 rules. Or here it says, under the law. 
the Holy Spirit can offer so much more than we can fit on any stone tablets. All right, one more illustration, and then we'll give some takeaways. We're just, we're so simple sometimes just to try to put this kind of a solution. And then the devil gets involved in this, and he, he messes us up. And so there's this chess match going on, so you're trying to fix it. And oftentimes we just think, well, I'll just, I'll just make more. I'll do more. I can remember when I was a young person, uh, sixth grade, and I loved basketball growing up and was on the basketball team. I enjoyed that so much. And I watched those that were older than me, and I learned something from them. You see, I had two older brothers that played basketball. I had an older cousin that played basketball. He was really good. And I watched these guys sometimes, and I saw something different in them. Before they put on their basketball shoes, these guys, they put on two pair of socks. Two pair of socks before they put on their, bas- before they put on their basketball shoes. Well, as a 12-year-old, I saw that, and I thought, they're pretty good at basketball. They're putting on two pair of socks. You know what I think would make me even better? If I put on three pair of socks. I can remember where I was. We were playing against, I think it was St. Mary's Lutheran School in sixth grade. And I was sitting on the bench, which is where I sat in the sixth grade. Sitting on the bench and I had three pair of socks on. I can remember sitting there in that gymnasium and I was like, what? in the world is the temperature set at in this room. I, can, I had to run from the bench into the locker room and go, and for some reason, these geniuses that are wearing two pair of socks, they don't have anything figured out. So I took off two of the pair, and I left myself with one pair of socks. And some of you are saying, Man, you're not really the sharpest, you weren't really the sharpest knife in the drawer there, were you? No, no, I was not. I'm still not. Brothers and sisters, be very, very careful to think that rules are going to help you to be accepted in God's eyes. It cannot. What is better than rules written on paper or on your device or on stone tablets is rules that God would write on your heart. So that brings us to what we can do. What can we do with this? Number one, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. How do we do this? I'm going to give you three. If you're taking down notes, you'll have to write them fast. How do I follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life? Well, first of all, settle this question. Who is running my life? Who gets to run your life? Because so many of us give a little bit to God. But when push comes to shove, when it's something that we don't really think is right or we disagree with the Bible or even how God is leading us inside, we want to run our life. Settle this question. This is an ongoing task that we have until we're with Christ. Who will run my life? Next, make daily effort not to grieve the Holy Spirit with sin. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And if you want this beautiful opportunity to have the Holy Spirit communing with you within. We must not grieve the Holy Spirit. Does not mean that you're not going to sin. If you sinned this past week, don't freak out, all right? I think there's a beautiful teaching in the Word of God that gives this idea. We are not intentionally allowing ourselves to continue in sin. We all slip up. But if there is some sin right now that you know is in your life and you're not taking the right steps to try to defeat that, that's the idea here of grieving the Holy Spirit. And then next, live a life of dependence upon God. And I saw this and I thought, holy smokes, I got a whole other 20 minutes to talk about this. Because the Christian life is a combination of us doing the very best that we can do and then trusting God to be clearly involved. And let me tell you how I'm built. I'm built on setting up the system as well as can be done so that nothing can go wrong. Now, some of you who are organized people or your list makers or whatever, that might resonate with you. I said earlier, the devil can take anything within us and use it. Can the devil take organization and use it for himself? 
Can he take the fact that I like things organized and a plan ahead and make a list? Let me tell you the huge danger that can come with that. We need absolutely nothing of God to be involved in what we're doing here at this church. If we're so well organized, we've got every problem taken care of. Now, am I saying I want to be less organized? Absolutely not. Here's what I'm saying. You need to have some areas in your life where you are stepping out on faith. This might be a debatable line I'm about to say. We walk by faith and by sight. You are to do the very best that you can do with what God has given you, and you are to trust God to be clearly involved. And if you're built like me, you can build yourself into such a life where if God doesn't show up, I didn't even know because everything went so perfectly. Allow yourself to be in situations where you're stepping out on faith, and we have to close that point. One more takeaway. Grasp the importance of guidelines for yourself but do not forget that you cannot force them upon others. Understand that for you to have guidelines and rules is so, so important for your years you have in this world. But you cannot force those upon other Christians. Holiness is so much better modeled than it is imposed. I cannot impose holiness upon you. First of all, I'm not qualified. Second of all, you're not going to be able to receive whatever I would try to give you. This is why, instead of depending upon a system, we depend upon a Savior, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you, somewhat with confusion. What rules do I throw out? What rules do I add? Where do I apply this? Where do I step out on faith? Where does God have to get involved? God, I thank you for your plan. And I know on this side of heaven, there are so many more questions than we have answers. But I praise you for what Jesus Christ did here by saying, unless their righteousness exceeded that of the scribes and Pharisees. And so God, do not allow us to fall prey to thinking that a system is the answer to our problems, but instead a Savior is. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I'm going to give you a chance to pray, and then we're going to sing a few songs. If you're here today, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You're not sure you're on your way to heaven. You don't know what it really means to be a Christian. Even while the instrument plays, you can ask God, based on the work of Christ on the cross, to save you, even during this moment. For others, perhaps God something has resonated with you, the Holy Spirit made something pop off the page to you, take a moment to pray about that. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to sing the song, We Will Glorify. Let's stand together. Let's stand. We're going to sing, We Will Glorify. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up, and then we'll sing three more songs and take the offering. We don't want to forget the offering. I got the treasurer waving his hand in the back. Don't forget the offering. We're going to sing, We Will Glorify the King of Kings, and then we're going to sing this three-song set. And my point in us singing at the end was hopefully something in one of these verses of one of these songs, or maybe more than one, you can read ahead, and it will really resonate with you. Let's sing, We Will Glorify the King of Kings, all four verses. Oh,
may be seated. You may be seated. Am I on yet? You may be seated. All right. I'm going to ask Gary Fritz. Why don't you come on up, Gary? Gary's going to give some announcements, and then Gary's going to pray for our offering after that. You didn't know that. All right, you didn't know that. All right. And so let me give uh, just uh, one quick word. First of all, if you're a guest with us today, I want to thank you for being here. Make sure you get one of those blue visitor bags and leave that slip. Everybody else, fill out the attendance slip and put it there on your uh, seat when you leave here in just a few moments. And then I wanted to give a special invitation this evening at 6 p.m. Um, we took a break for about a year of the three or four churches getting together for the sings. And I wanted to invite you to come to First Baptist Church tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to be singing um, and uh, being encouraged with Scripture. So Hunters Creek Community Church, who just got a brand new senior pastor, we're so thankful for that. And First Baptist Church is hosting. Here's some of the songs we're going to sing tonight. Come Thou Fount, Behold Our God, I Will Sing of My Redeemer, Crown Him with Many Crowns, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, It Is Well With My Soul, O Church Arise. It's a praise service, and it is good for us to know the other Christians in our area and good for us to worship together. They were all here for our Good Friday service not too long ago, so we're pleased to go to uh, First Baptist tonight to sing. All right, Gary, you've got announcements, and let's... Ushers, go ahead and come forward. Ushers. Okay, at, uh, tonight at 6 p.m. we'll have a combined praise service at First Baptist with Hunters Creek Community Church. The summer activity calendars are out for the teen group. Please see Pastor Nathan or Anna for any copies you may need, and they are also posted right on the bulletin right outside of the teen room. Calvary is still looking for several families to host a five-day club this summer. We need snack makers, helpers at events, and homes in various neighborhoods to host. Please see Anna Barup for additional information. Please join me as we pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for all of your blessings. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the message that Pastor delivered today. And Lord, as we give back a portion of what you give us, may it be used as you see fit. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen.
He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He brings up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeting serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand?
Thank you for being here today. If you want to take just a moment in the gym here and sit and pray after we're done, that's fine. If you're part of one of our adult Bible fellowship groups or your young people are in the Sunday school hour, that's fine too. In fact, Nathan Barrett, where are you at, Nathan? Is he in here still? Did he leave? Okay. Um, we need to know where the college and careers meet. Do you know where you're going to meet today? Okay. We'll meet right there by Nathan to start, and then they'll find somewhere. They've, meet, they've met somewhere every week. We took their classroom away. Because of the remodels, they were in the balcony one week and then the foyer another week. I'm not sure where they're going to be today. Probably wherever food is, is what I'm guessing. And so, uh, everybody else, your classes are the same. Thank you for being here today. Walk with our God this week. We are dismissed.